This morning we are going to consider a wicked generation. In our studies in Luke's Gospel, we've considered a time when the Lord Jesus Christ cast out a demon that had caused the afflicted person to be dumb. When the demon was cast out, the dumb spoke. And that would have been a clear evidence that Jesus really did cast out an evil spirit. There was no pretense there. From not being able to say anything, the man was able to speak again. Consequently, the the people in the crowd wondered if Jesus is the son of David. In other words, if he is the promised Messiah. However, there were some who accused Jesus of casting out the demon by the power of Beelzebub. They were saying that Jesus was in league with the devil. And then there were others who sought a sign of him from heaven. That's according to Luke chapter 11 verse 16. We, we saw that whenever it was a couple of weeks ago, but we didn't particularly look at that aspect of the verse. Again, Luke chapter 11 verse 16, where we read that they sought of him a sign from heaven. That was not the first time in the Bible that a sign had been sought. I think there are many of you in here that would know of other times when people <clears throat> sought a sign in the Old Testament. What's the one that comes to mind straight away? Someone seeking a sign from God. Jacob, Gideon. How about Gideon? Yeah, Gideon was the one that I thought that everyone would think of. So about 1,100 years earlier, Gideon, whom God had appointed to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Midianites, asked for, and he received no less than three signs. First of all, the angel of the Lord, who interestingly is also referred to simply as the Lord. Many believe the angel of the Lord to be none other than the pre-incarnate son of God. So the, the Lord appeared to Gideon. Gideon said to the Lord, If now I have found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. He was asking for a sign. Consequently, the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the food that Gideon had prepared. And there rose up fire out of the rock and consumed the food. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sign, out of his sight. The second sign was when Gideon said unto God, If thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said, behold, I will put a fleece of wool in the floor, and if the dew be on the fleece only, and it be dry on all the earth beside, then shall I know that thou wilt save Israel By my hand, as thou hast said. And it was so, for he rose up early in the morrow and thrust the fleece together and wring the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. See what's happening there? I I understand that perfectly well. When I take my dog out first thing in the morning, even if it hasn't rained through the night, 
I know my feet are going to get wet. And I generally wear, uh, first thing in the morning when I go out, I, I wear my gardening shoes, the, like Wellington shoes, because the grass is wet. It's the morning dew all over the place. And so Gideon, the sign he asked for there was that even though there would be dew all over the place, the fleece that he put out would remain dry. And the angel of the Lord did precisely that. And I've gone the wrong way with this, haven't I? I've gone the wrong way. I knew I would. So let's start again. Everywhere was dry apart from the fleece was wet. And so he wringed out the the water, the dew from the fleece. The third sign was when Gideon said unto God, let not thine anger be hot against me. I will speak but this once. Let me prove, I pray thee, but this once with the fleece. Let it now be dry only upon the fleece and upon all the ground let there be dew. Like when I go out in the morning with the dog. And God did so that night for it was dry upon the fleece only and there was dew on all the ground. So Gideon had three signs from the Lord. Coming back to Luke chapter 11 and verse 16, where there were people in the crowd who sought a sign from heaven, it was not a polite or sincere request. That can be seen to be the case in a similar verse in Matthew chapter 12, where certain of the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they said, Master, we would see a sign from thee. That is more of a demand than a request. We would, we want to see a sign from you. There was no sincerity there. They had already made up their minds to reject Jesus and they were simply trying to catch him out, as was so often the case. Unlike Gideon, who was sincere and reverent with his requests for signs, They were demanding a sign from heaven, not that they earnestly sought confirmation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, but that Jesus would be unable to produce such a spectacular sign and he would show himself to be nothing but an imposter. Unlike Gideon, their motives were very malicious, sinister and evil. They had already seen numerous miraculous works of grace, mercy and compassion that Jesus had done and which were clear signs that he is the Christ. Even so, all they could do was accuse him of being in league with the devil. Such was the wickedness of their hearts and the determination to reject him. And so we come to today's passage with Jesus responding to that earlier demand of a sign from heaven, which was in verse 16. And we're going to look at verses 29 through to 32 in in Luke chapter 11. Verse 29. And when the people were gathered thick together, he began to say, This is an evil generation, they seek a sign, and there shall no sign be given it, but the sign of Jonas the prophet. 
For as Jonas was a sign unto the Ninevites, so shall also the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South shall rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the utmost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonas, and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. The words that Jesus said were not just directed towards the ears of those scribes and Pharisees who had demanded a sign from heaven. What Jesus said was pretty much directed at the whole of that generation of Jews, that evil generation of Jews of which the scribes and the Pharisees were representatives and which had departed so far from God and from the Old Testament scriptures, scriptures that speak of Jesus. The Old Testament scriptures which the Jews had been entrusted with for many, many years speak of Jesus. As the Apostle John said of Jesus in John chapter 1 and verse 11, he came unto his own, his own being the Jews, and his own received him not. And as Jesus said to some unbelieving Jews in John chapter 5 and verse 39, search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. In similar verses to today's passage, Matthew's gospel records Jesus calling the Jews not just an evil generation, but an evil and adulterous generation. With regards to them being evil, the greatest manifestation of that evil would soon be seen with Jesus being crucified and slain. The blame for that falls squarely on the Jews. For example, in Acts chapter 2, verse 23, the Apostle Peter said to the assembled Jews on the day of Pentecost, Him being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, he's speaking to the Jews, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. As for the Jewish nation being adulterous, they had forsaken God, who 1,500 years earlier had chosen the children of Israel from all the nations of the earth, to be his peculiar people, his very special treasure. And still they rejected the promised Messiah when he came into the world. First of all, Jesus made reference to the prophet Jonah who was sent to the Ninevites. When Jesus said, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign and there shall no sign be given it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. He was not announcing the end of his miracles. He did go on to, to do further miracles. 
He was, however, directing their attention to the book of Jonah. That evil generation of Jews that Jesus was speaking to would have known about the prophet Jonah from the Old Testament scriptures. That at God's command, Jonah, who had not wanted to go to the Ninevites, you read the whole book of Jonah, he was very reluctant. When God sent him to Nineveh, he went in the opposite direction and headed toward Tarshish. Tarshish. And he was swallowed up by a great fish. And after three days, he was vomited out upon dry land. And then he went on to preach to the pagan Ninevites in Assyria. And that resulted in them believing God and turning from their evil way. The sign spoken of by Jesus refers to the reluctant prophet's burial in the belly of the great fish, which signifies the sacrificial death of Jesus at the cross, his burial and his resurrection. As it is so so clearly written in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40 concerning the sign And this is what Jesus said, For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus, well, Matthew's Gospel gives that that information. For those of you who are having problems counting three days and three nights from the time that the Lord Jesus Christ was believed to have been buried on a Friday afternoon until the following Sunday morning. You work that out on your fingers, you might have a a job getting three days and three nights. But you, you need to understand that parts of a day were reckoned as full days with the Jews. As for what happened to the generation of Ninevites, that a rather disobedient prophet by the name of Jonah reluctantly did go on to preach to, having been vomited out of the great fish onto dry land. Jesus says in verse 32 of our passage that they repented. They repented. Pagan Ninevites repented when they heard the word of God being preached. Are we to imagine that theirs was a repentance unto salvation, full and free? It certainly seems that way when you consider that on the day of judgment, they shall, according to Jesus, condemn that evil generation of Jews. It must have infuriated the Jews that Jesus spoke to, especially the scribes, and the Pharisees, to hear that if they did not repent, they would be judged, or rather condemned, by a bunch of pagans at the judgment. Secondly, Jesus also made reference to the Queen of the South. According to verse 31, another person from the past who will rise up at the judgment and condemn that evil generation of Jews is someone who, like the Ninevites, was not from the nation of Israel. She was not a Jew. She too was a Gentile. Furthermore, she was just a woman. Even if she was the Queen of the South, 
which is the Queen of Sheba. She is believed to have travelled from the south of the Arabian Peninsula or perhaps from Ethiopia, having heard of Solomon's fame and suffice to say that she travelled a very long way, described by Jesus as the utmost parts of the earth. She made that long and arduous journey to King Solomon in order to ask him difficult questions and we're told in 1 Kings chapter 10 and verse 3 that Solomon told her all her questions. There was not anything hid from the king which he told her not. As to what the Queen of the South or the Queen of Sheba asked Solomon and what pearls of wisdom he shared with her when he answered all her difficult questions, we're not told. But it's reasonable to assume that she desired to know about the only true God. I say that because of what it says in 1 Kings chapter 10 and verse 1. It's written in that verse, When the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, concerning the name of Yahweh, she came to prove him with hard questions. So, when she heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the only true God, not any old God, not some pagan God, but the Lord, Jehovah God, she came to prove him with hard questions. The point that the Lord Jesus Christ was making to that evil generation of Jews was that a Gentile woman shall rise up with them on the day of judgment and she will condemn them as will the Ninevites condemn them. Once again, hearing that would have infuriated them. The Ninevites and the Queen of Sheba attended to the words that were spoken to them by God's messengers, the prophet Jonah and King Solomon. Even though those two men performed no miraculous signs, one of them was a very reluctant messenger, Jonah, Yet, we have in today's passage the evil and adulterous generation of Jews that Jesus addressed, rejecting him. Despite the words of divine wisdom and the truth that he, who is wisdom and truth, spoke. Despite the many miraculous signs that he had already done, and despite the fact that they had before them God manifest in the flesh. They rejected him. What J.C. Ryle said was most appropriate. He said, the Queen of Sheba had such faith that she travelled a vast distance in order to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Yet Solomon, with all his wisdom, was an erring and imperfect king. The Ninevites had such faith that they believed the message which Jonah brought from God and repented. Yet even Jonah was a weak and unstable prophet. The Jews of our Lord's time had far higher light and infinitely clearer teachings than either Solomon or Jonah could supply. They had amongst them the king of kings, the prophet greater than Moses, yet the Jews neither (coughs) repented nor believed. That sums it up, doesn't it? 
If that generation of Jews who had the Old Testament scriptures that speak from cover to cover of the Lord Jesus Christ nevertheless rejected him and received him not when he came into the world about 2,000 years ago, where does that leave you who have completed Bibles, Old Testament scriptures and new? Where does that leave you? You have completed Bibles which tell you that Christ died for sins, that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day. We have it all so clearly given to us in our Bibles. As we come to a close, do not go away imagining that you are somehow any better than that evil and adulterous generation of Jews. I know it sounds like I've been picking on the Jews this morning. I've just been quoting scriptures to you and I want to emphasise that we are no different. There go I but for the grace of God. But my question again to you is or or, or rather what I would say to you is do not go away imagining that you are somehow any better than that evil and adulterous generation of Jews. This is what the Apostle Paul had to say, not just about the Jews, but about all people. Listen to this now. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulchre, an open tomb. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. According to the prophet Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Your own heart will deceive you. Never mind other people deceiving you. You will deceive yourself. That is how desperately wicked the heart is. Jesus said from the heart proceeds murders, adulteries, idolatries, blasphemies, thefts, drunkenness, so on and so on. You know, it's, it's not sugar and spice and all things nice, is it? It's slugs and snails and puppy dogs' tails and a lot worse besides. That's the human condition. And acknowledging that to be a fair description of you, you dear people, what you must not do is be like those Jews who demanded a sign from heaven. Although there will be a sign from heaven and that will be when Jesus comes again. When Jesus comes again, not to save sinners, but to judge. He will come in judgment. All judgment has been committed to him by his Father. With reference to the second coming of Jesus, he said in Matthew chapter four, uh, 24, rather, 
verse 30 to 31. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Can you imagine that? When Jesus comes again, all eyes will see him coming in power and glory with his elect angels. And he will come to judge the living and the dead. Everyone who has ever lived. He shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Concerning that final judgment, Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. That is the voice of the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life. That's the elect. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life. They that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. They're the ones who are going to be condemned by the Queen of Sheba and that generation of Ninevites that repented. Jesus will judge them and he will cast them into the lake of fire. So when the Lord Jesus Christ comes in judgment at the end of the world, all who have done good will be raised up to life. All who have done evil will be damned. When it comes to doing good and not being damned as an evil person, I've, I've already told you how good we are. There is none righteous, no, not one. I've already told you what the heart says about the, the condition of the heart. I've already told you what Jesus says proceeds from our hearts, murders, adulteries, and so on and so on. He wasn't just talking about unconverted people. I'm pretty sure that there has been at least one Christian man, born again man, who has looked at a woman with lust in his eyes. I reckon there must have been. If you know what I mean. And even so, when Jesus comes in judgment at the end of the world, all who have done good will be raised to life. All who have done evil will be damned. What separates the two there? When it comes to doing good and not being damned as an evil person, the best and the most important thing that you must do is believe in the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom God hath sent into the world. As Jesus said so plainly and so clearly to his apostles in Mark chapter 16, verse 15 and 16, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's what I'm doing this morning. Not to every creature, but I'm preaching the gospel to you, dear people. He that believeth and is baptised shall be saved. 
Praise God for that. He that believeth and is baptised shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. There you have it. You see the ones who are damned there. The evil people who are damned. They are the ones who have not believed the gospel. And because they have not believed the gospel, they have never been baptised. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptised shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. (coughs) Can you see? It wasn't just that generation of unbelieving Jews about 2,000 years ago that was evil. So too are all of you who believe not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be damned at the resurrection of the dead on the day of judgment if you die in your unbelief. It's a very solemn message. You will be damned if you leave this world without having trusted in Jesus, without having believed in him. You'll have the likes of the Queen of Sheba condemning you. That generation of Ninevites condemning you for they believed. Even now the wrath of God abides on all of you who do not believe despite anything good that you imagine yourself to have done. Let me tell you, all your righteousnesses are as filthy rags. They're worth nothing. Therefore, show repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, believing that your iniquity, in other words, your unrighteousness, was laid upon him and that he paid the debt of your sins in full at the cross and live a life for his glory with thanksgiving in your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and believing and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen.